Hello to today's podcast from Mark and Mark on pharmaceutical contamination monitoring. We will look at contamination control strategy and risk assessment today. This is Mark Mahauer with 25 years of experience in aseptic fill finish equipment, and I'm together with... Hello, my name is Mark Horwath with over 25 years of delivering solutions for contamination monitoring. Welcome back, Mark. I enjoyed the last one we had together where we talked about the history behind this. Now let's take it to the future. Um, not In not much of a future, we will see the Annex 1 come out. And um, they ask for a contamination control strategy. Can you tell us a little bit what you think what that is? Yeah, one of the... Um, so always a pleasure to, to chat, Mark. You know that. <laughs> and... Um, so one of, one of the changes, you know, when we started to talk about history before, is that it's it's becoming more prevalent. It's becoming front and center what um, what we start to look at now, and the revision to Annex One that's been much muted, much talked about at the moment, and it's still in draft form, being circulated, is the concept of a contamination control strategy. And, uh, and it's nothing new, really, but it's a little bit more of a holistic look at what contamination controls mean when they work together to provide an answer. So essentially, when we used to look at environmental monitoring data, we'd look at particle count data, pass or fail, particle count data from location one. So... As we were talking, you know, particle count data at the accumulator table for the isolator. Did it pass or did it fail? And we'll look at that data continuously across the course of the batch. The particle count data at the point of fill, did it pass or fail? And the particle count data from the stoppering location, did it pass, pass or fail? And so you'd look at each of those elements in isolation. You'd also have your microbial data. You'd have from each location, you'd have airflow, you'd have your airflow visualization testing. What they're saying now is like, if you take a step back, surely all of these little pieces of data, they're not like Lego bricks sitting on a side in isolation. If we actually start to bring them together, all of these little bricks work in harmony to give you a real picture as to what your overall contamination risks might be. So you don't end up with an, an unbuilt model full of Lego where you've got blue pieces and red pieces and yellow pieces scattered all over the table and you're trying to decipher what on earth this means and you're putting them in left for fail and right for pass. We're building a house, we're building a boat of pieces. And ideally, they all fit together and form this cohesive image as to what contamination control really looks like. And that can be as simple as gowning. It can be as simple as gloves. What gloves do my operators wear? And if I make changes to that, how does it impact how they tie their shoelaces or, or whatever it might be? But it's this interconnection or interconnectivity of elements that work together to demonstrate control. So it, you're not just looking at bits anymore, you're looking at the whole. 
there's a lot of data created. I think that um, if you want to put an eye on this, uh, you will most likely need an environmental monitoring software at the end where you can put in all your data you create, uh, not only the machine data, also the manual collected data, the, the swabbings, the platings, the fingerprinting. Um, you said it, uh, how they tie their shoelaces might change um, and you don't have a recording of it because uh, you don't see it Yeah, if you do a manual recording. That's it. And, and so software is becoming a lot more comprehensive uh, because there's more data and there's more. And I think this was why taking a step back and looking at it from a from a contamination control strategy perspective means that you're not looking at reams and reams of paper from a process. You're trying to look at the salient points that that process is telling you. Were we in control or not? And if we were in control, then great. That gives us a high confidence that the product that's being released meets all of its predetermined quality attributes. So this is really, we're sort of like pushing to, you know, quality by design. You know, we're really not trying to measure for quality, even though we are measuring. We're not going to try to measure for quality and finished product. We're trying to build quality into the process. And that means that each of those process steps requires an element of consideration. And that consideration is, What's the risk if something goes wrong? Yeah, I can see that being challenging. Um, one of the the points which I'm asked lately often is the sterilizing tunnel, for example, the depyrogenation oven. What do you re really have to do in there? Do you have to monitor all three zones, the preheating, the heating zone, and the cooling zone? Reality is in the, in the uh, heating zone, you cannot really monitor. In the cooling zone, you should, but you also, it's very difficult. What's your thought on that? Yeah, this, I mean, it's a great example of a contamination control strategy at work. Because if you think about the, you know, the elements, the pieces of a, of a, a sterilizing tunnel, a depyrogenation tunnel, you've got the, the conveyor belts, you've got the filters, you've got the, the generated heat, there's whether it be wet or dry heat. Uh, and as you said, the three zones, the loading, the sterilizing and the cooling zone. Uh, also their egress through the through the window out onto the accumulator table. But when you actually think about what a deep hydrogen tunnel is, it's to, you know, if there are any bacteria within the um, within the glassware or or the, the vials, vessels, whatever, containers being put through that depyrogen tunnel, they're being neutralized. They're being depyrogenated. There will be no pyrogens. There'll be no contamination prior to filling the that container with product. So yeah. if you think about it from a particle perspective, where are the particles likely to get into it? And, and that's where... We're talking about monitoring the ISO 5 chamber at 0.5 and 5. So we're not really worried about particles per se, because we don't look for particles in finished product until they're at 10 and 25 microns. What we're concerned about is demonstrating the control of that ISO 5 environment. 
so you're right in that panel, um, in the hot zone, we depyrogenate, but then we get into the cooling zone and theoretically you have your mechanic changing a filter. He could theoretically go in there in a shutdown and leave um, skin or whatever in there. And then uh, they put in the filter again and it's in there. So what happens in the cooling zone because you don't sterilize the well, in all the machines, you don't sterilize the cooling zone. Now we we have a hot sterilizable cooling zone, or H2O2 cooling zone, but you have to prove also that it worked. Yeah, and that's and so the first point of risk. So this is where you start to look at the risk associated with that. And that's why a risk assessment of where you choose your sample points becomes, you know, increasingly important and having that documented as to why we're not going to monitor in the in the hot zone. Because I have, you know, helped people in the past. We have a cool probe that allow people to monitor within the hot zone. But which, there's no risk. But there's no risk. So fortunately, we've not done that for quite a few years. So in the cooling zone, where do we put the sample point? And what's the likelihood of contamination? What's the probability of contamination? And it's those elements. What's the probability? Well, you have moving vials that are transiting an area at a known speed and if contamination was to occur as an isolated event what's the chance of you capturing it at any one of those locations so demonstrating that the filters and bear in mind your your example was i've had an operator change a filter so you should perform qualification and cleaning certainly following any <clears throat> physical intervention within a process so we've already identified where some of those risks might be and addressed them and that's part of your contamination control strategy so these little bits fit within that overarching example now if you want to monitor within the cooling zone just to demonstrate that continued compliance all you're trying to do is to demonstrate that the air in that chamber and this is a Despite there being an airflow of sorts, it's a fairly enclosed space and it's a very small space, not as small as a, a blowfield seal plenum, but certainly a small enclosed space. And so you could take a sipper tube and withdraw a sample into a particle counter to give you continuous feedback as to what the average or estimated contamination level is at that time. Are you trying to prove that it's an ISO 5 chamber? Not necessarily. What we're looking for in monitoring is there, has there been a shift in that baseline threshold? So if I'm looking at a chart and I see a nice smooth line, maybe it moves around a little bit minute by minute. If I see a spike within that process, i.e. somebody banged to the side of the machine or they shut a door hard and that pressure or shock caused particles to rain down from that newly installed filter that gives me an indication that there might be an elevated chance of risk of contamination and that contamination demonstrates itself as particles but it might manifest itself as a biologic so you know particle counters are non-discriminatory they just tell you that there's a particle there they don't care what they are yeah. so that gives you an opportunity to dive in and look at that instance as part of your overall process to prevent that contamination, to prevent that risk being carried further along and lost 
within the process because once that band of vials have come out they mix on the accumulator that's uh, now which one was in the risk zone during the you know during that contaminating event so your strategy in those instances are to monitor the level of particles within that area and that chamber is a small chamber so you don't have to concern yourself about the absoluteness of the measurement what we are looking for now is has it elevated my risk and how does that risk play into the overall scheme of your contamination control strategy so it's this um, where does it fit and what's the importance of contamination in any one of those locations i think for the risk assessment um this is a good statement you said is that uh, you have to evaluate your risk and then react to it um i think we have to have a, a session on this at a later point uh, just risk assessment because it's so important also inside the filling line and then we have the capper or we have a lyophilizer we have automatic loading unloading things change once the vials are closed or open uh clean room spaces change from iso 5 to iso 6 maybe 7 um there's a lot exactly. of extra topics we can talk about on a risk assessment um but it was a good example with the dry heat tunnel because there's really i see i see there's no really good design uh to particle monitoring but then it might be not necessary as you say the risk is almost zero and you uh, evaluate the risk in different ways so uh, you counter effective to that that is i think enough for today mark thank you for okay, joining um next time we're going to talk about the particle path and see uh, what is needed, what is necessary, and how uh, ideal particle paths should look like. I'm looking forward to that next topic. And until then, I'll say goodbye to you, Mark. Thanks very much. And if you need more information, you please contact our local sales and service office, or Mark and I can be reached through info at pmeasuring.com. Thank you, Bye -bye. Mark.